When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, if you can hear us, we're off to a good start because we've got a new microphone to do the podcast and it's been an absolute nightmare. We went to start this an hour and a half ago and we've had an absolute It's fight. all singing and all dancing, it does everything. Yeah, well hopefully, like I say, if you can hear us, we've done something right, we're away and gone. And if you can, then we'll promise that this will be the best ever because this microphone's going to make it it's that It's quadridirectional. Yeah, so I'm told, so I'm told. Um... Three years, I talk Anka, on Sunday, it's three years since I talk Anka took charge at Middlesbrough. Um, Phil, I mean, it's an obvious success because he said when he came in that he wanted to take Middlesbrough to the Premier League and that's what he has done. How would you, just briefly, how would you reflect on Karanka's three years? Oh, that's a really, I mean, where do you start? I think, I think the important thing to accept or, or to, to, to acknowledge is the fact that just about everything that he said he would do, he's done. Um, you look at the, the team that he's built. You look at the fact that the attendances are um, have gone from an average of what twelve, thirteen thousand up to twenty odd thousand. Um, uh, it's is achieved promotion. Is he put the pride back into the team? Although I think to be fair, Tony Mowbray done it, done that to a large extent anyway. And I think um, I think it should be said also that he's been backed by the chairman. That's the crucial factor. That is. Um, you can't have one without the other. We saw with Tony Mowbray that a good manager with limited funds can only go so far, and that's not to say that Tony didn't make mistakes. Of course he did, but he also bought the backbone of the current team. He signed, you know, he signed some some really key players and would have brought one or two more in if he had the opportunity. So, I think you just have to say Steve Gibson's punt paid off, didn't it? And um, it worked because everyone was behind the project. Vic, if, if you were to look from an outsider looking in, you'd look and you'd think Middlesbrough were uh, struggling in the championship, perhaps not as worse off as, as what you know sometimes you, you, you believe, but they were, they were struggling in the championship and obviously first year they steadied the ship, second year they went ever so close, third year they went up, you'd look at that and think it was a, a constant rise, but there has been setbacks, hasn't there, along the way? Uh, there, there has, but then football it, uh, is never easy, otherwise all those big teams that are down there the Leeds, the Forest, the Derby, they would have gone up straight away as well. It's a very, very competitive league uh, and money does give you the edge uh, and it buys you certain advantages, but it's no guarantee. And, it, and again, we can look at the clubs down there that have spent a lot of money, far, far more money over the last three or four years than Borough have. So there's never any guarantees. I, I think the important thing is that uh, uh, it's a question of timing. I talk Karanka came in when Mogherid uh, cleared the decks, cleared the debts, and built a framework that uh, behind the scenes of an infrastructure that could flourish with, with a little bit of success and a little bit of nurturing and a little bit of money. And and Mogger did that. You know, he, he rebuilt the the medical side, the nutritional side, uh, the scouting network, which had been allowed to fall into complete disrepair. Uh, partly because of cuts after relegation and partly because Gordon Strachan didn't really believe in that kind of thing. Uh, he worked more by, by intuition. 
what's been put in place at the club was has been a framework of, of scientific professionalism and a culture of incremental improvement right across the board in all sorts of aspects of, of the club that we probably don't see every day. Uh, for fans, obviously, all that counts is, is what happens on a Saturday and where you are on the league table. And despite sometimes the, the football hasn't been the most entertaining, at the end of the day, if you've got a 50% win rate, you know fans lap that up especially at home the home form has been absolutely phenomenal mm. over the last two years and it's easy to be critical about the tactics here or a sign in there but you know the, the narrative of the club over the last three years has all been about progress towards the goal and that was getting promotion at a vital time because if we hadn't have gone up this time you know we could be locked out of the big money Premier League for, for a generation so that's the real success is, is delivering the goods at an important time, but I think doing it in the right way. And, and John, I talk anchor is always is always willing to point out that he's still learning and he still classes himself as a rookie, doesn't he? What what do you think? Eh, has anything stood out to you that he has learnt over the last twelve months, say, since the since the the Wembley defeat? And and what do you think he'll look at, and where do you think he can possibly add to his skills over the next twelve months or so? He certainly he certainly learnt. I mean. I think it was a vital kind of time when he came in from November to that following May. That was a crucial time for him really to get, his, get you know, his feet under the table and kind of have a, an idea of what the championship was about. Uh, and he realised pretty quickly that Borough couldn't defend and they were shipping far too many goals. And this is a manager who, um, you know, obviously he's a defend, defender by trade. So he, you know, he wants. He, he always said that he wanted to get that sorted first. And he did that, to be fair. I think that cru- that was crucial, that little half season where he got a look at, at Middlesbrough and he could assess, right, I want him, don't want him. Uh, and then very quickly, if you look at it, he, he started forming his team, didn't he? He got the spine of it nailed down very quickly with the likes of um, Ayala and Gibson, Clayton and Ledbetter. And that always gave Middlesbrough a, a chance because he worked out, you know, he, he made them tough to beat, firstly. And, and that was something that Middlesbrough, you couldn't really say for years that that was the case. Um, he as a manager will have learned that Wembley defeat obviously was a, a bit of a crushing one um, obviously the preparation the whole preparation towards it was, wasn't was great either um, Do you think you'd have been better for it? Yeah without a doubt I think uh, if we can look back now and kind of think maybe maybe we can take the positives of Middlesbrough not going up at that point um, he's a, a year more experienced and I think that he understands the whole league better um, that's not to say that last season he didn't make mistakes because obviously he did obviously the, uh, he had some amazing kind of things that unfolded, some bad results, and then the so-called bust-up in March, which again he would have learned. But he's still young, and managers say that they can be 20 years into management and still be learning. So he's only three years in, and he's already got a massive tick on his CV. He'll continue to learn, he'll continue to get better, but the only way you can learn is by you know taking the rough with the smooth, really. Phil Vick, you were, you were at his first press conference when he was unveiled. If, if you kind of on a personal level, I guess, not a managerial level, what, what do you think is the biggest change since you sat down and, and obviously a, a guy who, who you'd only, you only knew what you'd read about him as a player, so obviously there was the unknown element. What do you think is the biggest change from then until now? I don't think there's really been that much of a change. I think one thing that's remained constant throughout is that his belief in himself his belief in his methods. I think John is absolutely right when he says that Aito has changed. He's not quite as inflexible as people make him out sometimes. Uh, all managers are stubborn and they have their uh, have their sort of 
blind spot. But he, we've seen this season the fact that he altered the team when you know on the back of the Watford defeat, didn't he? We've seen in the past that when he came here, he said he would be bringing in kind of fringe youth team players, under 21s from Spain. Within a few months, he said there's no chance of that happening. They would never last a minute, and you know. So he, you know, he he has he has been prepared to change. But I think I think all good managers also are stubborn in the right way. And I, and I think the Aitor Karanka that we sat and talked to in November 2013 is still pretty much the guy you talk to now. He, he you know he, he he's, he's he's got his beliefs. He, he's got a determination to succeed. He's punctilious. You know he's dots every I, crosses every T, that hasn't changed. It probably micromanaged to a point at times, you know, where it's almost impossible to maintain that level of hands on control and, and that's probably the biggest learning curve he's had is how to delegate and how to trust other people. And he's probably still learning that. Um but I don't think he's changed great. I mean Vic might disagree, but I, you know we he's, he's he's brought in the odd thing that affect the press in terms of he's not quite as open to the local presses, maybe as he was that first six months. The Gazette, for example, used to get a one-to-one with him, you know, on a, a pre-match and post-match. Um, that's gone now. We just we just take our stuff like anybody else from from the main press conferences. But 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 apart from that, I think what you see is what you get. Well, I think the main change between then and now is money. Uh, you know, you can come in and have all the bright ideas you want as a young manager, but if you haven't got the backing, the financial backing and the political support of the people above you, then you're on a, a very sticky wicket. If you haven't got money, you need to rely entirely on luck and you need to make sure you haven't, you know, you, you, the, when you bring players in, that they hit the ground running. When you've got money, it buys the luxury of a bit of time. You can pick and choose what you want. And also, I think the fact that he knows that Steve Gibson is very, very supportive uh, means that he can take a curveball sometimes and he knows that two or three bad results aren't going to result in him immediately looking over his shoulder in the way that he did in Spain. Well that's, that brings up probably the biggest most important decision he made from a personal point of view was deciding to go to Middlesbrough not Crystal Palace yeah. because I think it's a fair bet that if he'd gone to Palace that, that October, that November 2013, they were they were pretty much stranded, weren't they? I mean, they were being written off. They were being Pulis written off. And Pulis performed a miracle. I don't think a rookie manager like Aitor could have saved Palace that season. And without a chairman like Steve Gibson, he may well have been out of work again that following summer. And his career may never have got off the ground. He's, it, the most important decision he made was to go to a club with a manager... So whether the chairman not only had a had a plan, had a track record of backing his managers. Mm. I mean, John had touched on the playoffs. Another manager could quite easily have been sacked after the playoffs. Steve Gibson took a deep breath, said, hang on a minute, we're onto something here. We haven't quite fulfilled our potential this season, but we haven't missed by much. The important thing is to stick with this manager. He knows what he's doing, and he was rewarded 12 months later with promotion. I think it was interesting, that playoff thing, because that season, yes, I know... Middlesbrough did spend, but overall their kind of net spend was next to nothing, obviously, because the people went out the door. So he probably looked at that season that resulted in the playoffs and kind of thought, I'm not too far away here. And I've not really I've not really dipped my toe into the market that much. You brought, you know, you brought obviously you got Bamford in on loan, you got got Vossen in on loan, and a couple of others. I think Clayton was one of the only kind of money yeah. money signings. Um, so after that playoff game, he probably sat down with Steve Gibson and thought, I've gotten that close and we've not really we've not really 
you know, dipped our toe into the market yet. And that's when I think both of them was a big moment there where Steve Gibson believed in Itor and equally Itor said, right, I've, I've got these players that I wanna, we want to spend now because this is the year to go up. That, that meeting was probably one of the biggest meetings that they've ever had, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, was gonna, it was, I was just going to say on the back of that, I remember for the first time the back end of that season was when he started getting prickly about people saying that he'd spent money, didn't he? A couple mm. of times, particularly when the national press came to press conferences, they would say, I told the chairman's backed you, blah, blah, blah. And I told was very quick to say, we've balanced the books. Mm, I've yeah. only spent what I've raised. And, 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 and by and large, he had. And I think that was a very big message he wanted to get across because I think the perception nationally was that Steve Gibson had once again thrown a load of money at the manager and he hadn't failed, yeah. and he was I mean, failing. We, we forget about it now, but that, that season, the season before, we were all paranoid about the, the football fair play regulations, and we were all we all became accountants, didn't we? And we were very conscious about income and revenue streams and, and how much it, it was costing the club and how close they were to the ceiling. But the, the support for, for ITOR from the chairman hasn't just been in terms of players. He's, he's been allowed to completely rebuild the backroom staff, and he's been able to bring in anyone he wants. And the likes of, uh, say, Victor Victor Orta, in you know, this is a man in demand all over Europe. Big clubs wanted him, but you know he was allowed to go out and bring him in as part of the, the machinery. A Brian English, he's, he's brought in his own uh, uh, analysts, nutritionists, conditioning staff. You know, behind the scenes, a lot of things that maybe fans don't see. You know, there's been fantastic support for him to build a club that's kind of in the image of the big clubs he's played for. Will, will that have always been the intention, or that what you're talking about there, about him getting the back in both in terms of playing staff and non-playing staff? Do you think Do you think he, he, earned, he earned that with an impressive kind yeah. of first few well, months, well, and then Steve Gibson thought, yeah, hold well, on, we, we're we went, something. We went to see Steve Gibson. We sat, me and Phil sat down with Steve Gibson before I was appointed, after Tony Mowbray had gone, and, and he set out this vision of, of the way he wanted the club to run. And they were already far, uh, away down the road yeah. towards that. Anyway, that had been going on for a no, couple it, of years. The, the whole point was to, to take this up a notch because it was the only way Middlesbrough were going to compete with the bigger clubs. And he was very conscious that they'd been out of the Premier League for, by that point, like five years, and they were five years behind in terms of massive spending and investment on the infrastructure. And it was a question of how do you, how do you work smarter to cut the corners and to give yourself an edge against bigger teams and, and he, he decided one of the ways to do that was you know you had to be better coached you had to get more out of every player that you brought in you had to make sure that every pound that you spent in the transfer market was an investment and the long-term plan was to do you know to, to create a club that had extra gears to it it wasn't all just about you know what you did on the, on the, the pitch it was also about what you did off the pitch because sometimes the, the return on your investment is more if you think carefully about you, how you did it, which is why they had to get the manager right, which is why they weren't going to bring in a Tony Pulis or a Neil Warnock, because those sort of managers wouldn't have been prepared to work with the kind of structure that he was looking to put in place. And that kind of tipped the balance towards a, a European manager I mean, I mean, who were more used to working like I mean, the, the links with Kenyan go back. They, they predate Ito Karanka. I mean, I mean, we wrote the story ourselves in the Gazette, but we were trying to sign someone like Vargas, you know, from Chile, yeah. um, you know, in the championship. And that, that was the ambition then. They were looking at that kind of player then. And I think that that was actually reined in a little bit. And the realisation was, hang on, we're maybe starting to run before we can walk here. But clearly, I mean, the interesting thing is for me is that the structure that was put in place of those people, if Ito went, 
yeah, you could see some of the people close to him leaving the Leos, maybe it's the Carlos Cachados, but but the Victor Autos, there's no reason why they shouldn't stay. You know, people like that, that network of that 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 bigger umbrella over the club, that that's been put into to sort of future-proof borough for the next five or ten years. So and, I was going to touch on club structure. It's not Itor's. That's what I was going to say. So, so if, for example, if you know, God forbid, something happened in the next few weeks and Itor Kranka left the club, that there wouldn't suddenly be be. Six, seven, eight, right? nine, ten people following him out the no, door. But what it would mean is that your next appointment of them, getting your next manager and scouting your next manager is almost as it's more important mm. than getting the, the right players in. And you look at the club that's done it properly, like Southampton. Mm. You need to get a manager that ticks the boxes and is a good fit with what you've got. But the, what they've got is a good structure and a good framework. So you'd think good managers would want to come and work with that because that's why when people come to Middlesbrough and they see the vision you know now a new signings they talk about this this club's got it all set up it, it's interesting Derek because you did the, the Victor Auto Q&A earlier this week and in it he talked about following Southampton's model didn't he and I think for a few years it was Swansea wasn't it yeah. Swansea was yeah. the team we talked about now Southampton seem to be that team yeah, and then hopefully in a few years' time, then Borough could be that team that we're talking about. Um, I mean, it's always a big gamble, isn't it? You know, buy, whether it's buying players, appointing a manager, you, know, you live and die by the sun, it's always a big gamble. I, I One thing, going slightly back to what Karanka is still learning about, is that pressure, I think. And I still think now he's, he's dealing with the pressure a lot better than he ever did. This season, we, we went through the sticky patch, and actually he got some bombs thrown at him in a couple of press conferences. But I was quite impressed with the way that he... Last season, he might have directed that at the players. Um, came out fighting, didn't he? This but he year? said he came out fighting. He dug in, dug his heels in, and said, "No, this is my way of doing it." And I think his entire kind of Borough career has been—he's had pressure on him. Of course, he has because it's his first managerial job, and Steve Gibson did a big gamble for him. But year one, he's trying to prove himself, isn't he? Then, obviously, year two and three, he's starting to spend money, and the pressure then is on him, and that's obviously what a big factor that led to whatever happened in March, as I think that. The pressure was on him. He, he, it was his team. He'd spent the money, and Borough couldn't afford not to go up. And then this season, I think it's gone full circle now, where now he, he's got a little bit more belief back in himself, and it's almost back to back to year one now. I think where he's tra- starting to try and prove himself again in a different league. So I think that is he's certainly better at that. He's a different manager now. I think I don't know if Phil doesn't agree though. I think he's a different manager now than what he was when he when he first signed. I think there are differences there, but one thing that's been you know, common throughout is his belief in himself. The, the common theme, obviously, is transfers and, and the, the fact the players he's brought in. How would you assess his dealings so far? Because there's been some very good signings, but equally there's been signings like Carlos De Pena, for example, who quite simply haven't worked out, isn't it, Phil? I think, well, first of all, a lot of managers make good signings and bad signings. Oh, of signings. course, yeah. Yeah, there isn't a manager out there who's got a 100% record. I think just slightly going back to what Jono was saying there, I think the critical thing, once again, is... You could name on one hand the number of chairmen that would give a manager the chance to do what Itar's done, yeah. i.e. learn on the job. Now clearly that, that, that goes with results as well. If Burr had finished mid-table in his second and third season, I don't think he'd be the Burr manager now. But, but So it's a two-way street. But the chairman has enabled him, he's given him that breathing space to develop, a, to develop his own setup on and off the pitch. Signings-wise, um, it's been, again, yeah, some good ones and some bad ones. Um, I don't think it's been um, an unqualified success. I think um, so many of the players where you could say, well, he's done well there, but not so well there. You thought, Christian Stuani would be a classic example. Mm. He's come in, he was top scorer last season, and yet you never felt as though Borough have got the best out of him. 
Yeah, you mentioned Depeny has been obviously pretty much an unmitigated disaster. Let's face it, he's barely kicked a ball for Borough. Um, but I think I think you can see the impact that certain signings have made. I mean, I mean Adam, Adam Clayton's been, been a great signing. Yeah. I think what, what's pleased me is that Crank has been mm-hmm. open-minded enough to use the players he inherited when necessary. Mm-hmm. So Grant, he loves Grant Ledbetter, he loves George Friend. Ben Gibson came through under Tony, but has become a better player. As Dimmy's he's got the older. obvious example. Dimmy would be a great example of a player. Yeah, Albert Adomer, he inherited lots of those players he, he brought in. Uh, th- sorry, were already there when he came in. Um, you know, the ensuings of this, was he a really great signing? I mean, it didn't cost a fortune in terms of transfer fees. You know, he was working within a budget. So if, if, you, if you put that into context, the, you know, probably best signings for me were people like Bamford, a loan signing. Yeah. I thought he was a brilliant signing. I think, he, and I think when Aitor realised that he had to let him off the lead and let him just go out, go play, he, he got the benefit from that, didn't he? So I think um, I, I would say he's it, done okay with signs. I don't think I wouldn't say it's been a spectacular, rip roaring success. I mean, quite the jury's still out on quite a few of this season's signings, isn't it? I mean, Nick Rado, you know, great player, he's made an impact here and there, but has he played as well as we thought he can do? I think there's more to come. Valdez, I think there's more to come. Um, some of the other signings, we haven't seen a lot of Fisher. Um, we haven't. Uh, Darun's just really started to, you know, find his feet in the Premier League. Um, so you look at, you know, half, half or, or more of this this summer signings. You know, Espinosa hasn't had a chance yet. No. You know, Brad Guzen was brought in as a reserve keeper, and, and he's probably a, a perfectly reasonable um, reserve keeper. We haven't seen a lot of Fabio. So if I was to sit here and say, yeah, Ito's a genius in the transfer market, I think that would be. A ridiculous oversimplification. I think I just think you know the, the signings have been functional. They've done the job that they've, they've been brought into, and there's been big turnover. I mean, you did that list. We well, it's up to 52, 53 players that we've got through, and during the course of that churn, the overall squad, the strength of the squad on a match date has got better and better and better. So in that sense, they've been progressive signings. They've made the squad. Better is offered options and strength in depth, and as you say, there's not anyone that's particularly spectacular, but they've all done the job. And, and sometimes, uh, it's whether you're a good fit to the rest of the team rather than whether you're an individual star. And we've seen that with a lot of players that have come in and they think, Well, you know, they're all right, but actually, they've blossomed mm. as the seasons have gone on, and some of them have blossomed on stepping up to a different level. I mean, and Sue last season was a fine example of that, wasn't he? You would never have thought that Emilio and Sue, for example, would go on to become the first choice right yeah. back at well, the start of the year. Well, he came in as a winger, though, didn't well, yeah, he? And after that I, first yeah. season, you wouldn't have said, well, yeah, you're right. We're kind of judging them on what we saw when they got here. But you, you look at their, their CV when they arrive, and you say, well, he's a, re- a La Liga regular. He's a La Liga regular. Well, Karanka clearly brought him on as a player. Oh, that's, well, that's the point, sure. I think. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure those players came in and did the job they were signed for. I think Karanka's genius might have been to realise, hang on a minute, I'm not getting the best out of him as an attacking wide right player, mm. but he's a steady full-back. And that's where he's been prepared but to But then be- even if you look at his first season, he played at right-back at Bournemouth, for example. Exactly, had an absolute shock yeah, 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 yeah. And two for things, then you thought we well, we can't put him anywhere near there again. But then obviously he went two on. Two things to... that Aitor does for me is a he improves players on the training pitch. I mean you, the, the list countless. You look at like you know Gibbo, Clayton, Grant, George, Ayala, and they're all quick to say that. Yeah, and, and they all kind of say that they've improved, but they haven't improved tenfold under under him. Whatever he does in the training ground, people like it. The players like it. They say it's the best training they've ever had. 
Um, the second thing he's, he does is he keeps them fit, and that's down to him and the, the medical staff. Mm. But Borough's, Borough's injury record of the last two years is absolutely incredible. Yeah, well. tobacco, I've, I've, I've got I totally agree with the fitness side of things. I think I think improve sometimes isn't necessarily the. I would say it, it's more he gets them to do the job he wants. Yeah. So, for example, you take Adam Clayton, who for a lot of his career was an attacking midfielder, and Adam Forshaw almost. You know, that's the kind of player we thought Borough was signing, or certainly that's the sort of player that Huddersfield thought they were signing. And I thought transformed him into the best holding midfielder in the Championship. Now, whether you'd say he's improved as a player or he's just getting the best out of him in a certain position is open to discussion. Mm. I, I think that's Ito's strength, genius, whatever you want to call it, is that he finds a player and he thinks, right, I can. I think his best use for me is in play in position X. Well, Albert would that Dorma, be, would Albert that be called improving though? Because if, if Adam Clayton's, because, a, no, cha- if Clayton's a championship attacking midfielder, he's now a Premier League yeah, defensive think, midfielder. Yeah, but, is that but, not but improving? Point, I'll just go, without going into too much of a cul-de-sac, he may, with the right amount of encouragement, being as good as Adam Forshaw in that position. Well, I think you're both right, score. but the important thing is not whether you get extra out of a player, it's whether what you get out of the player gets extra out of the team. Yeah. And that's yeah, yeah. what he manages to do. He harnesses people to the machine. And sometimes they kick against that and a lot of players are not happy to be told this is how I want you to play. But once they knuckle down and realise that they're making a contribution to the, the collective, the, the team is better. Well, I think Albert Adorma and Muzzy Carriol are probably prime examples, aren't they? Both similar wingers, both wingers who were capable of ripping championship defences to bits on the day. And Adorma kind of bought into it, didn't I? I mean, regularly, you, did, yeah. you two last year well, you, we, disagreed. We'll argue, yeah, yeah. we'll argue until we're 85 years old about that. I think Adorma was a poorer player for being more disciplined defensively. Whereas you I think, think that, I think he contributed more to the team. But I think Borough lacked, lacked goals because he wasn't... Borough had effectively 10 or 11 defenders on the pitch at times last year. It, we'll, we can argue this one forever. You know, is, that, is someone like Albert Adoma better for your team when he's a creative player who scores 12 to 15 goals a season? Or is he better and, and creates less goals and defends more? That, that the that, team win? Well, the team's... That's- well, the team might have won if he was playing in a different fashion. One thing's certainly point. clear, though, is, is his way or, or you're out, yeah, isn't it? And, yeah. and Adoma and Carriol are the prime examples of that as well. And I think that is that is rooted into his experience as well. The more experience he gets, the more belief he has in himself. And then he, he's quite ruthless as well. Like, and he has shown that increasingly so, I think, that if they don't believe in him and his project and what he's doing, then they'll be shown the door. So... It is very much his way, and he's the boss, isn't he? Three three years then. Obviously, if you look three years down the line, where where do you envisage Itor Karanka being and, and Middlesbrough being in another three years? And I know it's a. I don't think they're necessarily the same place. No. I can't see. Well, I, I think I think every manager's got a shelf life yeah, personally, and mm. he's already had three years. And I, I wouldn't think it'd be the worst. We don't know how this season's going to pan out. I don't think it'd be the worst thing for either party, Middlesbrough or Aitor Karanka, to possibly look for new challenges, if you want to put it like that, next summer. It, it, I, I, you know, that that might be not in Aitor's mind, that, that might not be in Steve Gibson's mind, but you sometimes feel as though, would this project have got, got as far as you can go if Borough finished, say, 13th next season? Or will he think, with a little bit more investment... I was going to say, would he not I, look at Southampton and think push, top eight? Yeah, possibly. Uh, I think obviously it depends on where Borough finished this year. I, I think in terms of, I mean, Lighthouse an ambitious man, and uh, no doubt he has a, 
a longer term view of where he wants to be. He's already made put one big tick on his CV by getting promoted uh, to stay up and flourish in, in the, the hardest league in, in, the, in the world, the most watched league in the world, would be another massive tick. And at that point, whether, you know, whether it's a conscious thing or not, other clubs would come looking. The Spanish clubs especially would come looking. And the attraction of, of uh, you know, Real Madrid, for instance, may come looking. And that would be more, you know, that, no doubt that is in his dream case scenario. For Borough, established in the Premier League, I mean, we talked about this thing about building a model. Uh, you know, it's it's where you, you want to push forward and you know the ne- next phase of the of the project. And in three years' time, which is what you asked, I'd like to think that Borough were a well-established Premier League club that had maintained excellent structures behind the scenes, that were able to compete for the best players and also the best scouted players because that that machinery was was ticking over nicely and uh, you know that that we're enjoying the fruits of all the hard work that's been put in no matter who's in the dugout I think one little bit of um, you know one thing you can read into ITAR's decision over the past few months to employ his own PR person and to 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 actively cultivate interviews with members of the national and international press one of the conclusions you can't help but make from that is that Aitor's looking towards his next... You know, he, he doesn't need to do that to en- en- enhance his role at Middlesbrough, really, if you're being honest. You know, the but then equally, that is understandable, isn't it, for a... For a uh, not, not to yeah, necessarily... So what yeah, so what I'm saying is, that's, that says to me that Aitor's got one eye on his next move. Mm. Now, I'm not saying he shouldn't do it, I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just saying that he's, he's made a conscious effort in the last six months f- from what we can take as anecdotal and circumstantial evidence that he's spreading his message uh, through people like William Balagwe, you know, the Sky interview, um, the, the, the Henry Winter interviews, things like that. You do them because you want to be known, you want to get your, your face seen, you want your, to spread your message. And now that, that's he's doing that clearly because he feels either feels that he's not getting recognition for what he's done at Middlesbrough or that he wants to, he wants the rest of the footballing world to be aware that he exists yeah. and, and he's doing well. To, to run it alongside that is that you know now you're in the Premier League. It's the biggest league in the world. There's global demands, and there's an argument that the press office of, of a of a local team can't necessarily cope with demands from Korean TV and Al Jazeera. So, so there, there is that element, and other managers do have their own press people. Steve Bruce takes his own I'm, press people. Yeah, I'm only saying going. that's an example. I'm not, that's what I'm, I'm saying. saying that what you're saying is not right because obviously profile build, building is is all part of the wider project. One, I think one thing that is crucial is where Middlesbrough finish this season will have a massive, massive say on how Ito Karanka's tenure at the Riverside will, will be seen and he can do as much PR in, in the world as he wants but if Middlesbrough get relegated that is a black mark on his CV and if he keeps Middlesbrough up I think Vic's absolutely right I mean he'll, that's two massive ticks promotion and staying up in the hardest league if he doesn't do it and, and let's be honest Middlesbrough have turned the corner and they're looking better but there's nothing to say, to say that they're, you know, they're up flying in sixth place or anything like that if Middlesbrough do go down under I talk Karanka I think that that is a very, very big black mark on his CV. So I think we can look as far forward as you want in terms of his personal ambitions, but I think he has to focus now, and I'm sure that's what yeah, he will I'm be sure saying. He, he has to focus yeah. on now and May, because whatever happens in May is going to have a massive impact. I think the one thing we can't legislate for, Dom, is, 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 is we don't know that next week 
a massive club isn't going to pick up the phone and ring Steve Gibbs and say, what, what's, his, what's his get-out clause? Can we approach him? Can we talk to him? Um, we think Isaac Cranker can take Club X up the Bundesliga, up La Liga, up uh, Serie A, whatever, the Premier League. You can't legislate for that. And we also don't know, obviously, the terms of Aitor's contract or whether he's got a clause in it that says if somebody comes to him, you know, those kind of things. So, but... So it may be that he, he gets buried to a mid-table finish. He goes into the pre-season next season with every intention of taking Burry into another Premier League season and maybe he's looking for a top-half finish. And then in the 1st of July, 2nd of July, a massive club comes knocking and then all of a sudden you're in a situation whereby... Um, you know, we saw what happened with Sunderland. I know that's not going to happen for an international... But, I mean, Sunderland lost their manager a couple of weeks before the season. No one legislated for that. But those things can happen. So I think it's unlikely that I told Mills are manager in three years. Not because he's not successful, just because of the way the football world is these days. Excellent. Well, like you say, if you if you have listened to oh, sorry, Vic, were you going to say that this microphone's given us twenty percent extra free? <laughs> <laughs> if you have heard that, yeah. then it means it means something. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.